seated. As you are, turn to Psalm 46 this morning. We're going to look there briefly today, and I, I do mean briefly. We realize that this is a new setting. The children are with us this morning, and I don't want to speak too long, although it's always dangerous for me to make that statement up front. But I don't intend to. I just want to look at this psalm for a moment and uh, talk about some things again in the context of what we've come through these last couple of months. We're not going to leave Romans completely. We'll be back in it again, Lord willing, next week. Um, but, and, and in fact, even this morning, I'm not leaving it. I'm going to come back and circle around to last week a bit as I close this morning. But I believe that the truth of Romans bolsters this psalm. And I've said to you often, many times, that I am grateful that I live on this side of the cross, that I look back through the cross to the Psalms. I, I Certainly the psalmist knew God, and they wrote some rich and deep and meaningful things to us, but they didn't have the full picture. And when you look back through the cross to the Psalms, they explode, I think, with, with truth and uh, and wonder for us. And so that's what we're doing this morning as we look at Psalm 46. Let's read it together, and then I want to make some comments about it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. He shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I think I got all the words right in that psalm but I didn't get all the meaning right in that psalm. When we came to the words, be still and know that I'm God, I didn't read them right. Because what I should have done is I should have shouted them to you because that's the intent of this psalm. After all that description is made, then you should hear a shout, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among in the earth. And what it is intended to do is just stop you in your tracks. That's the intent of the psalmist, just, just to stop you there and to have you look at your God in the context of what has been shared. One man, as I was working through this psalm this week, wrote these words. He said, the reason why the presumptuous sinner, and I would classify, that's a definition of an unbeliever, a presumptuous sinner, one who sins without caring, one who continues to sin without any regard for repentance. The presumptuous sinner. The reason why the presumptuous sinner 
fear so little. And then he turns and says, and the despairing soul, which I put in the camp of the believer, the poor in spirit believer, and the despairing soul so much is want of knowing God as great. Let me read it again. The reason why the presumptuous sinner, the reason why the unbeliever fears so little and the despairing soul, the believer, so much is both because of the same problem of knowing God is great. Knowing God is great. Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That is the God of both. The one acknowledges it and the other doesn't. So what I want to talk about quickly is three things. Three things that I think the greatness of God helps us with as we walk through these days. First of all, I think this psalm would tell us the foolishness. The foolishness of being our own sovereign. The foolishness of the unbeliever, if you will. The foolishness of one who says, I'll have no sovereign over me. I want to be king. I want to be sovereign. That's really a definition of an unbeliever. I will be the destiny of my own fate and my own soul and not look to another. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, back to the text last week. Another way to define that particular person is an enemy of God. If you have the text, you can maybe go back to Romans chapter 5, back and forth today. But in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, this is what it said last week. For if while we were enemies, while we were enemies, that included all of us at one time, everyone in this room. But while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We talked about last week, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't want him, while we were still ungodly, God came to redeem a people. A people who were his enemies. You, you can't soften that. Who were his enemies who are their own sovereigns. And oh, how we see that in our world today, that, that people want to be their own sovereign. They want to choose. They want to make their own choices. I think it may get worse than this, but an apex of it today is they want to even choose their own sex. They're, they don't leave that to a sovereign God, but they decide themselves what it is. And if time goes on, we could have worse examples of that or better examples, however you want to say it. But the definition of an unbeliever is that they want to be king. They want to make the choices. They want to decide. They want to be the captain of their own fate. And the scripture says they are enemies of God. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians. Again, about you and I, don't... Don't just look at others. This is where we were at, all of us at one time, enemies of God. That's the glory of the gospel. But it says in chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then it says, but God, the glory of the gospel, the glory of a God who came after a people like that while they were still like that. That's what we talked about last week. Psalm 46 describes them this way. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. And then it goes on to say, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He's coming against And the context of all of those verses, he's coming against the enemies of God. That's what this psalm is about, um, that, that the people of God are to be still and know he's God and watch how he came against the enemies that they had and destroyed them and made desolations of them. That's what the psalmist is trying to bring out. But, but it just reminds us of the foolishness. The foolishness of the nations, the foolishness of those, the foolishness we once had in all of our hearts, which God in his grace overcame. The foolishness to think we could be God, that we should be God, that we should choose. It's foolishness. It's utter foolishness. The second thing not only the foolishness of that, of unbelief, the foolishness of the unbeliever who wants to oppose God, who wants to line up against him. Um, but the foolishness of presuming on the mercy of God. But let me back up a minute. Young people, remember in chapel, remember in that first point, the foolishness of those who want to oppose God, the foolishness of those who want to line up against him. What did we learn in those days, God always, say it, God always, say it again, God always, he always wins, he always wins, you will not win if you're lined up against him, you, you will not, now the second point tells us why at times, for a short period, it may seem that the outcome is in question. And that is the foolishness of presuming on the mercy of God. First of all, the foolishness of opposing him, the foolishness of wanting to be our own God, the nations raging against him. But the second thing is the foolishness of presuming on the mercy of God. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And it is more broken than any of us know. One of the things, just, just an anecdotal kind of observation about all that's happened in the last couple of months is there's not much coverage on the news media about third world countries. A little bit, a little bit of coverage about the suffering in those countries because of this pandemic, but not very much. The majority is not about them. It's about us. It, again, just shows our self-consumedness of our American Western culture. It's about us because it's, it's pricking us in ways we don't like it. And so that sells on the media. People want to hear about that. They don't want to hear about other places. They don't want to hear about third world countries much. But we are insulated from the suffering of this pandemic in many ways. Some of it, we were insulated from some of the horrific things that happened in Europe 
But even beyond that, in places that aren't as, as able to cope with it as they were, they got overwhelmed with it. But think of third world countries and, and the ones that don't have adequate medical care and the suffering, the incredible suffering that goes on. And we live in a bit of a sterilized environment still here in America. Sterilized even in the scope of a global pandemic that's affected the whole globe. And the question I ask, why? Why do we still live in a sterilized environment? Oh, there's been suffering, and some of you have have maybe experienced it. You've maybe had death in someone you know or close to you because of this. But it is sterilized. We got a glimpse of it in New York City, and some in the midst of that, it was horrific, but still sterilized a bit. The thing that I would come to is the mercy of God for us. Why? That's God's design, God's purposes. But the reason that it is sterilized for us and horrific there is still akin to the mercy of God. And yet, will we continue to take that for granted? Have you ever had times where you've looked at the Egyptians and all of those plagues? I mean, they were all those plagues. And plague after plague after plague, they just went back to the same thing. They kept, they kept thumbing their nose at God. They kept wanting to be their own sovereignty. I think, how in the world, after all of that, could they do that? <laughs> you know why, and I know why. We'll probably do it here. We'll probably do it in our sterilized environment here, thinking we're the ones that made it less by our own ingenuity. How quickly things can change if God removes his merciful hand. Uh, if, If we don't learn anything from this, I hope it is that. It has been bad in many places, but not as bad as it could have been. And it's due to the mercy of God. It's due to the mercy of God. And we dare not take that for granted. We dare not presume upon that in this time. It's not because of the strength of man that it's sterilized. It's because of the mercy of God that it's been sterilized to a degree for us. Not fully. And then thirdly, the last thing. This is, this is where I want to close and bid you farewell for this morning. The stunning magnitude, the stunning magnitude of the promise of the gospel hope. The stunning magnitude of the promise of the gospel hope this morning. Last week we talked about, as we said, the truth of enemies being reconciled to God, that all of us were enemies and if God has opened our eyes to the glory of the gospel and we're putting our hope in Christ, he he has moved us from being an enemy to being reconciled. No longer are we at war with him. No longer are we opposed to him. Jesus became fully man for one purpose and one purpose alone, to die because God couldn't die. And all that's mysterious, but that is the purpose. He came that he might die 
to reconcile us to God. And everything changes in that reconciliation. Everything. God is no longer against us. He is for us. No longer is there wrath ready to be poured out on one who is in Christ. It was poured out on his son. And so it is love. Everything that comes to us is because of God's loving hand toward his people. Everything, even difficult things. God is working his grand and glorious purposes in it. But last week as I was preparing in that text, I came across a quote from my son's pastor in Indianapolis. And it it just caught me. And I didn't have a place to put it last week. But it fits here. It fits here. And the greatness of our God. Listen, Listen to what he said. This is, this is what he said in the, in the context of what I said about the wrath of God no longer being against us. It, it is still there for the unbeliever lest they repent, but not for the believer, not for the one whose eyes have been opened to embrace Christ and trust him as their savior and their sin bearer and receive his righteousness. But this is what he says. There is nothing more dangerous than a sovereign omnipotent and holy justice poured out on deserving rebels. There is nothing more dangerous than sovereign and omnipotent and holy justice poured out on deserving rebels, which all of us were at one time. If we're in Christ, we have no danger of that now, but at one time. Then he goes on to, this is the part that caught me. And I wonder with him. He starts out by saying, I wonder, and I wonder with him. I wonder if our experience of the new heaven and the new earth will include the joyful trembling of really seeing the glory of God, really understanding the ugliness of our sinfulness and realizing how dangerous sin is when you are standing before a holy God who knows everything about you. I wonder if in our gratitude we might find ourselves saying, wow, that could have been really scary. I think he may be on to something. I think he may because it goes back to the admonition, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. In fact, we want a God like that because it's only a God like that a sovereign, omnipotent, holy, just God who can make promises and keep promises. We don't want a God that's inept. We don't want a God who is loving but not all-powerful, not able to accomplish what he promises. That leaves us with nothing. That leaves us with no hope. Actually, what he talked about there, and we don't know for sure, but what he talked about there was a grand and glorious, great God. It's the whole idea, remember, a a few weeks ago in the Zoom, if you were there, we talked about what it means to fear God. 
And, and really what it means, the best definition of that is to fear God means that I, I, am, I, I respect him, if you want to use a different word than fear, but fear's okay. I fear that God too much to run from him. Too much to run from him. The idea of a vicious dog, you, know, you run and they chase you. I, I fear too much to run. And, and in a sense, that's what we, we ought to be with God, that we recognize who he is and how absolutely foolish it would be to run from him. And he doesn't want us. He beckons us not to run but to come. Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He beckons us to come and experience the full grandeur of his love. And that's exactly what happens when we come to him. And he pours it out on us lavishly. And so I hope in this particular time that the words of the psalmist, because it says it there, the the, the words that he expresses there are true, and they're true because of who he is, because of his greatness, and because of his great and grand and glorious promises that we who were once enemies have been reconciled to him by the death of his son died for us even while we were fighting against him. Listen to these promises. Listen to the love of God here now, seeing it through the cross and through the surety of who made the promise. These words. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Promise, I think, allusion to the Holy Spirit that lives within God's people, God lives within his people. He is a present help in trouble. And that's the kind of present help you want to have in trouble. And I pray it's the present help you have known in these days. And if by chance you have been being your own sovereign, I would beckon you even this morning to run to that God and experience the promise of all those who are in Christ. We're going to conclude this morning by singing a song that is an affirmation today, and I pray it's the affirmation of your heart, the song that Matthew is going to lead us in, The Lord is My Salvation. Let's stand together. The grace of God has reached for me And pulled me from a raging sea And I am safe on this solid ground The Lord is my salvation
I will not fear when darkness falls His strength will help me scale these walls I'll see the dawn of the rising sun The Lord is my salvation is like the Lord our God, strong to save faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. My hope is hidden in the Lord. He flowers each promise of His word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, times of No loss when I am weak. I know His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. And when I reach my final day, He will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise, He will call me home, the Lord is my salvation. Spirit, 
How do we know that's true? Because of the God who made a promise like this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God bless you. Go in God's peace this morning. It's good to see you.